Good morning, Village Church. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors. We are in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11. We've been going through this. We're going to finish it up uh, in a few more weeks or so, and it's been good, yes? We're getting to uh, a few verses here in the beginning of chapter 11. We see the preacher move into sort of wisdom proverbs and some commentary on them, and and the theme here, which is consistent with so much of what we've seen in Ecclesiastes so far, is that we know the future is uncertain. And if the future is uncertain, how do we invest our resources with wisdom? But of course, Ecclesiastes is the inspired word of God capturing the wisdom of an imperfect man living life under the sun without the full and perfect wisdom of heaven. And so our job is to take these verses and bring in the full counsel of Scripture and see what God's Word wants to teach us this morning through this. And so we're going to get right into this. Just a few verses so we get to go a little deeper this morning, and uh, I'm excited for it. So we begin in verse 1. He says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Verse 1 here is a metaphor for investment and trade. This has been the common interpretation among scholars for many, many hundreds and maybe thousands of years. It fits in the context of the whole passage. And in Scripture, we find that the word bread is often used to represent financial investment. And we should likely interpret upon the waters as describing trade ships and investments that, that go out and then return. And we get some insight into kind of the historical setting here by opening up to 1 Kings chapter 10. It's a section that talks about King Solomon and his vast wealth and investment and trade. It said, For the king had a fleet of ships from Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships from Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a loud ship. <laughs> we see that King Solomon had his own fleet of ships, and they would sail once in three years, and they would bring back gold, silver, ivory, apes, peacocks. It's very similar uh, to what you'd find uh, Long Beach Harbor 2022, just like less peacocks, more Amazon packages. So the first proverb really wants us to consider investment and time, which is to say, this is a proverb about investment and patience, because that is the discipline of how we handle the unknown future and the fact that we don't control time. So verse one, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Some investments will take longer than expected. Some will not return at all, he will soon say. So what's the wisdom in this? The wisdom teaches us to be patient. The wisdom teaches us that if something is a worthy calling, that it is worth the wait, it's worth the investment, it's worth the risk. Wisdom teaches us, just in the everyday, ordinary things of life, that great works of art and, and great success, great architecture, or great music, you look at great physical fitness of Olympic athletes, these things are crafted and refined over days and years through patience and perseverance. And that's why anytime you see modern art that looks like 
a toddler splattered some paint, and it's hung in a museum, and it's for sale for $10 million. It is our job to be grumpy suburban adults who look at that art and say that it's trash, right? I brought some, some pieces to show you this morning. This piece is called Untitled. <laughs> it's valued at $46 million. But of course, you interview the artist, and, and they would say, well, the squiggly lines represent sorrow and despair. And the straight lines, they represent hope and uh, world peace. Or, you know, right? And about 1% of the population would say, that's so cool, that's cool, that's deep. And the rest of the world, <laughs> we just say, that's ridiculous, right? I'm going to show you another one. This, kind of, this one's called Onament V. It's blue, <laughs> but it has a white stripe in the middle. Don't, don't miss the stripe, right? This one sold for $43.8 million just a few years ago. Onament V means at one. And the artist said that it represents how he feels at one with his work, but more likely it's about how he is at one with money laundering, okay? <clears throat> the point is, there might not be a point, actually. This is, I just wanted to go off on that. <laughs> the point is, in life and in art, most people recognize that so much of the beauty and the value is in the process, right? Not all art is like this. There's much art where when you see it, you are immediately captivated by the reality that this person had to care a lot to get this thing to its finish. Think of a place like the Sistine Chapel ceiling. You walk in there and you instantly realize you cannot fake this, right? This was four, four years straight of ded dedication. Historic, historians wrote that when it first opened and the people walked in, visitors were speechless. You can't copy and paste that. You can't procrastinate like in high school doing a science project and just kind of like get that done at midnight, you know? And so there's beauty in it. There's beauty in the process. There's beauty in the patience. There's beauty in the endurance and in the dedication and in the risk-taking. And this is all reflected by the beauty in the end, the fruit of the labor. Because anybody could walk in there, and certainly you could walk in and say, it's not really my style, you know, it's not my favorite type of art. Or you could say, I'm an atheist. <laughs> but you cannot deny that he cared about it. You cannot deny that he believed in the worthiness of the endeavor. And so day after day, showed up and pushed through to the end. And so we look at a passage like ours this morning. He says, cast your bread upon the waters. And we consider with wisdom, not just our financial investments, but all of the things that we've been entrusted with even though it may take days and years to see a return. And as Christians, our investment, our patience, our risk-taking, it is all a reflection of the worth of something greater. It shows the world that we delight in something. Think of the areas of your life where you practice discipline and patience, where you show up every day and get right back to the process those areas of your life are being magnified to the world as 
beautiful and worthy. And we can't ultimately hide what we delight in. The world will know. And for most people, it's very clear. Our world delights in chasing after quick pleasure, and the world knows it. Again, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. The foolish person wakes up and chases after the desires of their flesh. The wise person wakes up and continues to sow seeds and invest in future returns that will bring about the things that they believe to be worthy. And as Christians, we look to God's word, we see really clearly what is a worthy venture for us. Training ourselves in righteousness, seeking first the kingdom of God, raising children in the fear of the Lord, loving your neighbor as yourself, being stewards of our time and finances so they can grow and multiply and be used for the kingdom. And we invest in great things. And we scatter our ships across the waters the fruit of this we may not see for many days or years or perhaps might not go as we planned at all. So it makes absolute sense that Christians should be people who are devoted to the process because we don't know the future. We can't control other people. We can't control so many things of life. It makes sense. One area where I've seen this is in talking to some of the single people at our church, and their faith has really strengthened me as a Christian. I had a conversation with them recently, and they said, we, we want to be married, but we don't want to build a ministry that is focused on just getting married because we don't have control over that. So we build a ministry that focuses on friendship and joy and Christian fellowship and delighting together and contentment together. <laughs> That's a pretty good idea. Yeah? That's a process-oriented decision of how to run a ministry. That's honoring God with what he's given us this day while we invest in godly efforts towards the future. And so to summarize the proverb so far, nothing is guaranteed, so we continue to invest. We scatter investments. We do the work that leads to fruitfulness, even if it is ultimately not in our control. And then look at verse 2. He says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. That was a proverb about diversification. Of course, that's the first area that would come to mind when we say diversification and financial investments. All throughout history, we've been taught, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Now, it's like 2023, you should definitely put all the eggs in the basket if you find them in the grocery store, you should <laughs> just get all of them. Because you could sell that basket. You could buy anything. <laughs> we live in a world without eggs. It really messes up our metaphors. I don't know what chapter of like Revelation we're in, but... The preacher is talking about diversification, perhaps with money first, but this is a principle for all things, all investments, all of our energy. We work hard in every area God has entrusted to us. We use our minds to be creative and invest energy 
and effort in different places and ways because this is wisdom and this is humility because we know the future belongs to God. Cast your bread upon the waters. You will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. He's saying, look at the example of sea trade. There's a risk that you could lose a lot. I don't know if you know this, but like, there's a long history of ships that go out and don't come back. They stink all the time. Storms, pirates, icebergs. There's a lot of things the ships don't like. Ships have been sinking for thousands of years. If you were smart, you'd use like a high-altitude spy balloon, right? We just let those things fly on by. <clears throat> I love, one commentator said, said the word bread in this biblical context is anything you give away. <clears throat> Certainly that would include money we invest, but it also includes the time we invest and the energy we give, how we use our gifts and serve. I love the idea of scattering here in Ecclesiastes 11. I also love bringing in the New Testament language that Paul uses of pouring out. I think we should see the scattering of Ecclesiastes 11 in light of the, the pouring out language from the Apostle Paul. Here's a couple examples, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship pouring out. Philippians chapter 2. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Spread your bread along the waters. Invest all that you have. Pour yourself out for worthy endeavors. Take a risk that is worthy of the kingdom of God. Let's bring in more wisdom. Look at verse 3 now. It says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Verse 3 is speaking of inevitability and randomness. The clouds are full of rain. <laughs> it's not going to stay in the clouds forever. But we don't know. The tree is going to fall, but you don't know which way it's going to fall. The wind's going to decide that. And then verse 4 is speaking about how all of this can cause us to then be paralyzed with action. Paralyzed by worry. Saying we'll always have troubles. There will always be something on the horizon that could tempt us to be hesitant in our action, or that will tempt us to not want to part with any of our resources. There'll always be something. The book of Ecclesiastes puts us face to face with these gigantic realities of the world <laughs> that so much feels meaningless, random, monotonous. We have a lack of control. Out of that, we see that the world is full of individuals who respond differently to these huge realities of life. You have some men and women who say, I love, I love the unpredictable nature of life. I love that life is hard because I'm going to work hard. I'm going to outwork everyone. 
I'm going to fight through the challenges, and I'm going to be a winner. I'm going to win in business. I'm going to win in achievements. And they listen to podcasts that are called, like, How to Be a Winner. Winner's Podcast. (laughs) Then you have so many others who are like, I don't know if I want to be, like, a winner. (laughs) I just want to live a quiet life. I'm not trying to, like, conquer the, the world or anything. These are realities to the truths that we see in Ecclesiastes, and, and the world reacts differently. I always appreciate it when you watch like a good war movie. Good war movie filmmakers, they capture the, the broad spectrum of human emotion and how people respond to chaos in different ways. Every human sitting in a bunker in a war is a unique soul that God has crafted. They've lived their own unique life, and they have unique hopes and dreams and worries. When chaos arrives and the the skies light up with fire and bombs are falling, a good movie producer shows the depth of human emotion in all of the various responses. We are not all the same. There's always the hero guy, right? He's been in the bunker for like nine months and somehow still looks like he has had access to a CrossFit gym and he's just running across the battlefield. He's going to save some dude. He's carrying him across his shoulders. Bullets are flying. And you think, yeah, maybe maybe that would be me. Maybe. Or maybe I'd be that guy over there. He's curled up in the fetal position. He dropped his weapon. He's crying. After everything he learned in training, he just panics, breaks down. All of us face the same challenge of living in a broken world. It's full of sin. A world that's unpredictable, a world that is often random, a world where pain is inevitable. God has made each of us unique and our stories will look different. How we respond and how we're tempted to respond to all of these big realities is going to vary because God made us all different. We've experienced different things in life and yet all of us are called to this same adventure of faithful investment. Again, verse three. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So much is out of our control, and yet we have to sow. We have to work. We have to take the risk because to do nothing is to guarantee there will be no fruit. And our creator loves us and he's worthy of our efforts. Amen? I want to bring in James chapter 4 here because we've got some time, just a few verses this morning. I think James 4 helps us see Ecclesiastes 11 really well. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
the progression we find in James chapter 4 is very, very similar to what we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Who are you to predict the future? You don't know what the future holds. Life is short. You are here today and gone tomorrow. So therefore, live a humble life. And then we get to verse 17, very well-known verse. He says, and so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, it is wise to invest what you've been given. It is wise to pour out what God has given to you. But in James chapter 4, we see that it's more than just wise. It is right. It is right for the people of God, in view of the mercies of God, to make kingdom investments with their lives. I think you could say it really simply like this. God has entrusted you with areas of your life that need your investment. We must obey God in this. We must sow seeds with the gifts that we've received. It's more than wise, it is right. Two more verses this morning. Look at verse five. It says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So first he said, you don't know the details of how the wind comes and goes and how it topples the trees. And now in verse 5, he says, you don't understand the details of even how God creates life in a womb. We can't see the work of God in a tiny baby inside of the womb growing an embryo, a fetus. Then the child is born and we see that God was working all along in that life. And so the message is simple. We don't know everything about how God acts and why God acts. And this leaves us with a much more simple, much more faith-driven approach to life. I saw this quote this week as I was reading from a guy named Michael Eaton. He was a pastor and a theologian. And he, he pastored a church in, among some of the poorest people in Nairobi, Kenya. And this is what he said. He said, the life of faith does not remove the problem of our ignorance. Rather, it enables us to live with it. Faith flourishes in the mystery of providence. It does not abolish it. What does that mean? Faith flourishes in the midst of providence. It means that my faith is not in my ability to figure out what is going to happen. My faith is not in my ability to take control of what is going to happen. My faith is in the reality that God knows and that God is in control. Amen, Village Church? Amen. And the conclusion here in verse 6 really confirms how we interpret all of these verses. This whole section has been about uncertainty and investment. But keep investing. Keep prodding along. Keep working and laboring. Spread out your work. You don't know what will prove to be most fruitful in the end. Look at verse 6. In the morning sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You don't know. So keep going. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, keep working. This reflects daily faithfulness. Not somebody who can never stop working. Not somebody who can never rest in God. But it represents daily commitment to the work of God. 
for you do not know which will prosper. Life has a way of humbling us in this, right? Sometimes when I write sermons, I think maybe this sermon will really impact someone's life. And someday they'll come find me and say, hey, that sermon really changed me. But I've said this before. I also like to just think to myself, maybe 20 years from now, someone will say, I heard you preach once and it changed my life. I remember thinking this is so bad. It makes me want to study the Bible on my own. (laughs) And now I'm a Christian. I just want to say I'm committed to the process, okay? (laughs) I'm going to leave the rest up to God. It's my mindset as I write sermons. I put some thoughts on a slide here. We are people of faithfulness. We hope to be people of fruitfulness. We hope to be people of great results and great returns on our investments. But what we can be today is people of faithfulness. Does that make sense? We really hope that we can be a fruitful people. We really hope that we can be a fruitful church. What we know is that we can be a faithful church. an incredible gift that we get to be focused on the daily joy of the faithful process, the daily joy of sowing and investing and taking risks for the kingdom of God. While the world is caught up in chasing outcomes, we get to be a people who live in light of the cross. When we walk in this room, we hang the cross up high right in the middle. When you look at the cross that we have hanging above me, I hope you're reminded that Ultimately, there's nothing left for us to accomplish, right? The gospel tells us that Jesus has written the final chapter. Our sins are forgiven through the death of Christ. And so we should see really clearly the realities of the cross, even in a simple passage in Ecclesiastes like this morning. A piece of good news for us this morning, because Christ was faithful to purchase our salvation, we can be faithful to Christ without carrying the weight of achievement. It's really good news for us. It gives us a lot of peace as we go, as we go out into the work of the kingdom. You say, David, this passage sounds great, but I've been scattering ships on the seas for many years. None of my ships ever seem to return. Maybe you feel stuck in a season of life. Maybe you feel stuck in a relationship struggle. You feel hopeless in areas of life that are big that God calls you to. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's parenting or singleness or school or career. You feel like you've been pouring yourself out and taking risks and investing your time and emotions and energy. And This is not going to be the morning that we have all of those answers, but it is going to be the morning where I put more words on this slide. And let me just show you. What do we say when it seems that all our efforts are returning empty? We say tomorrow's a new day, (laughs) right? That's the work of God's people. We say prepare the ships, load them up, send them out, pour yourself out, send them on their way. I think in a room full of people like this, we have a lot of people who are facing 
the fire right now in whatever area of life. You're just struggling to feel like you're seeing success and fruit in your efforts. As we finish, my mind jumped to Daniel chapter 3. As I was preparing this, I want to read this for us. You know these guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Three men, many, many years ago, facing death by fire. The fiery furnace is a story about faithfulness and process. They declare very clearly, our God is able to deliver us. In fact, we believe that he will, but even if he does not, verse 18, but if not, you should know that we will never bow to idols. We will never turn back. We'll stick to the plan. If we burn, we will burn. Reminds you of another passage. A hundred years later, Queen Esther, facing death for doing what is right. She says, if I perish, I perish, right? So we look at Ecclesiastes 11 and we say what? <laughs> that all of our efforts could burn up in flames and God could say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. In the end, that's right. He could. Because he already wrote the final chapter. It's finished. It's what we believe, right, church? That's why the cross is hanging in our sanctuary to remind us that we don't need to achieve anything. We can pour ourselves out for the kingdom of God and experience nothing but rejection, struggle, persecution, sorrow, and it will still all be worth it. God has achieved all that needed to be achieved. That's why we look to the cross. <laughs> if we thought we were like all little awesome achievers, we wouldn't hang the cross here. We'd just do more stained wood, right? That is cool. Stained wood is cool, right? We hang the cross. Let me end with this story. <laughs> On Wednesday... I had a very low moment as a dad. I went upstairs for a brief minute, and my phone was up there. I started reading the news. I got a bit distracted. I sat down, kept scrolling, just worthless entertainment, cat videos, all of it. <laughs> and out of nowhere, my two older girls they marched into my room and their faces were full of anger and sadness. And they said, Dad, you never came down. I was so confused. <laughs> I looked at my oldest kid and she was sweating. She was all red and there were lines all over her body. And that's when I remembered we were playing hide and seek. And they were hiding, and I was not seeking. <laughs> My daughter had been hiding in a metal wire basket. <laughs> and she was covered in blankets 
15 minutes. <laughs> so I look at this proverb as someone who had to wake up on Thursday morning and throw away my world's best dad coffee mug. <laughs> it makes me consider, of course, what we talked about, that I'm called to pour myself out, casting my bread upon the water, so I'm called to give away myself, my resources, my time, my energy. And when I stumble in this, when I stumble in these things, these areas of life that God has given to me, there's ripple effects everywhere. I was thinking later, you know, later that night, how much better would it be if I'm opening up the Bible with my kids to teach them about Jesus, and they're thinking, the dad who loves to play hide-and-seek with me, who delights in me, who just loves to laugh with me, loves to build forts with me, who throws his phone in the drawer when he gets home from work because he loves me so much. He also delights in showing me Jesus, helping me to understand Jesus. So you can start to look at your life and see how all investment is interconnected, all investment is compounding. It begins to layer on top of itself as we pour ourselves out for the kingdom of God and in godly relationships with one another. These investments begin to compound. God is glorified in the investments and the fruit that they produce. And out of that fruit comes more opportunity to invest and point people to Christ as your life is validated by the work and the energy and effort. And the things that we believe are validated by what we do, by what we do and how we invest. Does that make sense? And so this morning we get to take communion together and as we do this, we get to be reminded that we're purchased by his blood. And the final chapter is written that he's preparing a place for us that every day is a new day for us to scatter and sow seeds across the seas. That God will work all things together for good. And ultimately, real church, we, get to we just get to let God decide what success looks like. Amen? Yeah. Would you pray with me? God, we just declare that you're good, that as we look to the future and so much of it is not clear, so much of it feels cloudy and maybe for so many here, we think of all the work that we set ourselves to, we don't really know what that's going to bring or if it will bring much at all. And so God, we just get back to the simple things we can say clearly that, that you're good that you love us, that you're worthy of our worship. And we thank you, God, that you've saved us from chasing after empty things to, to establish our worth, that we have everything in you. We have a home in heaven. You're a faithful God. In Jesus' name, amen.